I was getting ready to have my tour MMA fight. I kind of came back to my senses. I could kind of see again because my vision had gone. I blacked out, but I didn't. I didn't fall or anything. But because I am so young, they were like, "No, it's, you're so young. It couldn't be stroke." It was a blessing and a curse at the same time. I'm a world champion now in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Hi there, I'm Jerry Stevens. In 2017, I suffered a bleed on my brain, causing a stroke, and has changed my life ever since. I thought it would be a good idea to speak to some stroke survivors and share their journey. Even if you haven't been affected by stroke, these are compelling, positive life stories from stroke survivors. They're doctors, physiotherapists and cognitive experts that I've met as part of my ongoing recovery. They have some amazing stories to share and advice to give. And over the coming weeks on RTE Radio 1 Extra, we'll explore them with you. Today, I'm joined by Aaron Riley. Aaron, thank you so much for coming in to have a chat with us today. You're welcome, Jerry. Thanks for having me. You're an MMA fighter. I was an MMA fighter. We'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to ask you about life before your stroke, because you are a very fit young man. You're athletic. You can tell that from 20 paces away from you. And you're certainly not somebody I was expecting to have a chat with about their stroke. So we, let's go back to maybe a week before your stroke. What was a typical week uh, like for, for you? It's actually funny you say that about the week before my stroke. So I was actually, I was getting ready to have my tour MMA fight. And I literally think about a week or two weeks before my stroke, uh, we had just booked up a big fight against um, a guy. Uh, he's actually a friend of mine. He, I went to school with this guy, but... We uh, he he's a, a training partner, Conor McGregor's, and he, it was like it was a fight I was looking forward to. It was a fight that we had kind of had in the books, and we wanted to get going. But I was training hard for that fight, and it felt great. You know, I was coming into I was probably coming into the fittest I'd ever been. Well, you've had a lot of success. I mean, in MMA, you you had a very promising career just just ahead of you. You'd had two MMA amateur fights, and you'd had nine fights in K1 kickboxing, and you were a K1 champion. Yeah. So things were just taking off. Things were looking good. You were getting ready for the third fight, and uh, what happened then? Uh, I was trained that morning, so Wednesday morning on the 11th of July. I trained that morning. Um, we were kind of doing some leg kicks and stuff I remember it like I remember the training session it's crazy we did some uh, grappling and stuff some drills and I went home that I went home that day Um, went to have a, I, I got home I, I'd usually stay in the gym it's funny you know I'd usually stay in the gym but I went home that day and I went for a nap I went to sleep till around 3 or 4 o'clock and I was going to go up to Balbriggan where I'd train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu um, with black belt Wayne Fagan but um I yeah I went for a, I went for a nap and then I came downstairs I was tired my mum would have my mum uh, had cooked a bit of food for me and uh I took one bite into it into whatever I was having and I started feeling kind of clumsy kind of I remember knocking over a fork and I was like whoa what happened there like then I stood up and I was going to get a glass of water and Things kind of just started closing in, on, you know. Things were closing in on me. Um, my balance was kind of all over the place. Uh, my vision started going really bad. I couldn't really see anything. Um, and I was pouring my glass of water, and I had to put my glass down on the the counter. And I tried to say to my mom, I was like, "I don't feel well," you know. I sounded like like I was drunk, you know, and. Uh, I don't think she really she even heard me like and I took a deep breath and kind of I kind of came back to my senses I could kind of see again because my vision had gone I'd blacked out but I didn't I didn't fall or anything but 
um, I kind of I kind of came back to my senses after kind of going, and I was like, "Man, help me!" I call call an ambulance. I remember yeah. saying, "Call an ambulance," and then I said it again, and she was going, "Are you messing?" Because I'd be kind of I'd be like I'd be joking and have a laugh. Or she goes, "Are you messing?" And then I was like, "Call an ambulance." She goes, "What?" Like. And then I, was, I, I didn't think she was going to do anything, you know that way, Jerry. But she goes, uh, I, I just, I remember nearly running out the door. I remember nearly, like, running out the hall door, like, because I didn't know what was happening. I kind of had an idea of what it was before anyone knew what it was. Did the word stroke come to your mind or did Straight away. It, did it, Just yes. because of yeah. looking at, like, ads fast, you know. Mm. All the symptoms were there, um... I remember, so, I remember just looking at her and going, Help me! Shouting, like... Mm like screaming out for help because I thought that it was a stroke in the back of my mind that's what it always was like always in the back of my mind like I was still slurring my words um, and then I'd actually te- I was I was getting a lift up to Balbriggan that night to train and because I'm out in Batystown it's a 20 it's a half an hour drive say and uh, I was getting a lift off a friend and I was going to text that that friend but I couldn't pick up my phone so I had to get my sister to text her, and I was like, as soon as I kind of, as soon as I couldn't pick up my phone, that's when I kind of knew. Before anyone had diagnosed anything, that's when I knew it was stroke. The ambulance comes; they take you to the Lourdes. Was it the Lourdes and Drada? Well, the first responders came first. Very good. First responders first. Um, fair play. And I actually met one of the guys that was in my house that day in a pub uh, around Christmas time, and you know, we I shook his hand. And I was like, fair play to you, like you, you know. They do great work, and um, even in my own village, they came to me as well. They're just, it's, it's fantastic, and and you see, once they arrive, they can actually confirm that you are fast positive. Mm. When they hear that, then they take it very seriously. But did they confirm you were fast positive? No, they were. See, I I don't think they knew either. Like because like I'm still slurring words, and like I had the facial droop. I couldn't pick up my phone and stuff. And like, like I definitely had the the slurred words and stuff. Like I remember trying to tell my sister, like, could I, could she go upstairs and get me something? Like, um, and she brought down, like, I obviously said it a bit funny, and she didn't understand me. She brought down the wrong thing, you know. How old are you, Aaron? I'm twenty four. I was twenty three when. You're twenty three. So you can, in some ways, understand why people. <laughs> the last thing that they would think of is you're having a stroke. Yeah, it's. You know, it's 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 scary to think of, like, and when I was in the Lord's, when I was in the Lord's Hospital, like, I was asking nurses, like, I'm the youngest, well, I wasn't, they were like, you're very young, but you're not the youngest, like, you know, so. So we're in the hospital, they have a look at you, um, do they get to have a CT scan? I did have a CT scan, and I was in, I was talking to a doctor, a young doctor for a while, um, just kind of, she was asking me like the the normal questions. Do you smoke? Are you active? Um, do you, like loads of different things, and it just, uh, you know, it was funny. They they didn't know what it was. They thought I can't remember what it, what they thought it was, but they thought it was another disease. Um, because I'm so young. That's what all they kept saying. Like you're so young. Like it couldn't be. And this nothing, and that. nothing appeared on the CT scan. Nothing on the CT. Okay. You know. So, they sent you home. They sent me home. So I stayed that night in hospital, and they prescribed me aspirin, um, and they sent me home the next day. They made me an appointment for six days later. So, well, 
five days later. So say I left hospital on the Thursday, which would have been the 12th of July, and then I had an appointment on the Tuesday of the next week uh, as a day patient. And that was where they were going to look at me more. They, I, they had planned to do an MRI scan, but I'm not sure. I think, as I recall, they didn't have a plan to do it on that Tuesday. They had kind of planned to do it later on, maybe a month later or two weeks later. And so I went in and I got plenty of bloods done that day. Um, and then I went and I talked to another doctor. She was like, oh, I think it's just a migraine. Like... I don't, I don't blame these doctors, you know, for not knowing what it was, but, like, you know, because I am so young, this is what they were saying, like, everyone, I, they were like, no, it's, you're so young, it couldn't be stroke, and I was kind of like, it, like... Yes, but also, you are young, but extremely fit, because of the MMA, that which is keeping you, you know, at the peak of fitness, really, so... But they did eventually decide to give you an MRI. Yeah, on that Tuesday. And what happened I there? went for the MRI, and so I was going in and out to this doctor in the day ward, um, and I was leaving my mum like my mum came in with me to the hospital but I was leaving her outside and I was going into the doctor to talk to the doctor and uh, so I was going in and out and I went and got my MRI I brought my results back she said give me two give me a few minutes and I'll come out to you so she called me back in and I told my mum I'll just wait there it'll be two minutes and she called me in and I said wait there and the doctor said you should come in as well and I kind of knew then something, yeah, something was up, you know. And she, yeah, she got right. So she gets the MRI up on this screen, and she has a little kind of clicker in her hand. She goes right. So the CT came back fine. All your bloods came back fine, but the MRI came back. And I just want to show you this. So the scan of my brain is up. You can see the two sides of the brain. And she goes, okay. So just here, and she goes, click, 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 click. That there, that's a clock. And with that, she was like, so that was a stroke. And with that, we, you didn't, like, you know, it was, uh, and everything the was flipped. Was, the clot was in you when she was showing you because you'd only got the MRI that day. Yeah. So it was definitely, you had a clot which has caused a stroke, a brain hemorrhage. Hospital Registrar, Dr. Zul Khalil. So Aaron came in to us after having been seen in our TIA clinic. Um because his symptoms had resolved, I suppose, so therefore an acute admission wasn't necessarily required. So he was seen in our TIA clinic, and because he was so young, he was admitted um, and um, for purposes of workup and trying to find out why um, he developed a stroke. The thing about Aaron is when we met him, the most obvious thing in comparison with any other 23-year-old, who was 23, I think, if, if, if I remember correctly, that he was an MMA fighter. So what would stand out? So a lot of medicine is, is investigative work. Um, we do scans, etc., but we investigate a lot. Um, and what stood out with Aaron was that he was an MMA fighter. Um, so that was what stood out between him and another 23-year-old who didn't have a stroke. He ultimately then, based on our workup, um, had a hole in the heart. So sometimes what can happen is that you can have clots in your legs, um, small little things that generally don't do anything, um, but 
they can travel up into the heart and if you do have a hole in the heart it can go to the other side and go upwards and cause a stroke now we're talking millimeter sized clots Jerry um, they're not big clots so if you have a big clot then you ha end up with having um, if you know about DVTs or deep venous deep vein deep vein thrombosis but Generally, we do get little, little clots like this spontaneously and they just resolve on its own. So if you don't have a hole in the heart, generally nothing happens. But in the context of Aaron, he did. It moved its way to the other side of the circulation and went upwards and caused a stroke. Your mum must have just absolutely had her breath taken away. Yeah, that's like, I remember her reaction even. It wasn't that too major, but it was like, wow. You know, she couldn't really believe it and she didn't want it. I don't think she kind of wanted to get too upset because she knew I'd be upset, you know. Yeah. Um, so, like, fair play to her. Like, I remember, <laughs> I remember, like, when I was in hospital and stuff, she was, like, like little things she was saying. Like, she was like, wow, like, like how is this? I remember uh, she was saying stuff, like, about her dad, like, her, like my granddad, like, he's dead years now. But she was saying, like, he, like, she was like, why is all this stuff happening to, she was, like, Gone. She was giving out to her dad up in heaven, like as and, we do. And as she's we going, do. Why is all this happening? To situations like that. Yeah, you know. uh, I'm sure it was a very worrying time for the family. Um, but um, the medical team they investigated the, the the actual cause of your stroke, but they wanted to get to the root of why did this happen. You've been taking blows for uh, for uh, quite a few years yeah. uh, to your body, and that that had something to do with it. Yeah. So what? Um, what it actually was was so they they actually didn't know why I'd taken the stroke and what they actually thought it was was a cut in the carotid artery they thought it actually was a cut in the carotid artery because um, I told them so I went that Tuesday I, I had actually gone back I, I'd gone into the hospital that night at say Wednesday morning 2 in the morning because I was kind of frightened. I wanted to go back to hospital because I, I'd found out on the Tuesday that I'd had a stroke and I wanted to go back because I, I must have been nervous and I ended up in hospital for a week. But they were, during this week, they were doing ECGs, they were doing echo, they were doing all this stuff to find out why I'd taken a stroke. And they were doing like uh, MRIs on my neck and stuff like because they thought it was the carotid artery. Um, but all this came back everything came back there was nothing until my very last day in hospital where they had to do an operation where they put a camera down my throat and they had to look so why I went down my throat was because they can't do an ECG at the back of your heart unless like they have to get a camera down your throat to see if there's any like in my case if there's any holes in your heart and what they found was there was a hole in the back of my heart so you were born with a hole in your heart. Yeah. Is that right? And that's where the blows kind of come into play. So what happened was I had, because I was being kicked in the leg, and this is what my professor told me then when I went to the Matter Hospital, um, he told me that because it's like a lot of rugby players get this, the exact same, they have strokes the exact same way I did, because you're taking blows where I was taking kicks to the toy, to my leg, or like leg kicks, you see it in a lot of MMA fights, you see it in a lot of K1 kick, especially in K1 kickboxing, um, a lot of leg kicks, there's a lot of kicks to the leg, you know, but what happened was, because I had the hole in my heart, from what I take, from what my cardiologist has told me, I, because I had this hole at the back of my heart, it was creating more platelets, and 
because I was taking the blows to my leg. It's more likely to clot. It, yeah, exactly. Mm. And then because of the amount of running and fitness I was doing, on top of that, my body didn't have a chance to slow down. My blood pressure didn't have a chance to slow down. And that's how the clot travelled to my brain. Clinical nurse, specialist in stroke, Fiona Connachton. The thing that stands out for me the most with Aaron is this young man sitting in the bed, the hoodie up over his head. Remember, he's only in his early 20s. The hood up on his laptop and in comes the stroke nurse. Last person he wants to see is this stroke nurse coming in, advising him what to do and what not to do. Um, And it was mostly around exercise. Like he'd been told he had to reduce the type and the level of exercise that he was doing. And this is a guy that was doing gym work twice a day locally for about an hour at each each session. And that was at a minimum. And here we were saying maybe take up swimming. So I walk out of that room and I'm left very empty, I suppose, because I've really offered him absolutely nothing. And I'm sure Aaron is feeling near enough the same. So what was the solution to deal with that? Your speech had come back, you had movement back, so you didn't actually really need physio as it were. No. But they did need to get this sorted because this was not good. Yeah, so when I talked to my professor, my cardiologist, he told me that, um, what was he saying? He said that I should, because because of what has happened, it could happen again, but the chances so the chances of it happening again were very slim anyway like what he told me was one in four people are born with a hole in their heart in Ireland okay so if there was four people in a room I'd be that one person but what actually happened from being kicked in the leg wouldn't happen to 99.9% of people with holes in their heart so they came up with the solution, we'll need to operate, we need to fix your heart. We need to fix the hole in your heart, which will give you a much better chance going forward. And was that a big decision to uh, to make? The way you put it, it wasn't, you know. Um, it, w- it was kind of, at the time, I didn't want to have surgery and I was kind of naive about it. And I didn't want to have, you know, I didn't want anyone doing, having, I didn't want to have heart surgery, like, even though I felt fine. I remember saying to him, no, I'm not, I'm not having heart surgery, like. I don't need it. But then he brought me in and he said, you have a 1.5% chance of this happening again. After this surgery, it'll half it. It'll be a 0.75 chance of this ever happening again. So I just said, look, it's worth having. It's worth having the operation done. It was Christmas four days later. like So it was kind of like Christmas. It was good. I didn't kind of want it to happen that way, but then it was good because I got to kind of sit around and, there was family around, you know, it was yeah, nice. Yeah, it way. was an, a, a good distraction for, for recovering. Exactly. A good distraction for <clears> it. <throat> um, so, you see, you didn't really like other people we've, we've spoken to on on the, the Strokecast. They would have an event. They would deal with the event. You know, they would go through physio. They would go through occupational therapy. They'd be getting their lives back on track, you know, mapping out some kind of a, an idea of where they're going to be. Yeah. But because of your fitness and your age, they must certainly have been big advantages. Ah, oh, big time. That's what they told me, you know, in the hospitals. They were like, you know, because you're so healthy and because you're so young, you have a young brain. That's what they were saying. Like, your brain doesn't really, your brain's kind of still growing until you're 25. I think that's, I don't think your brain's fully grown until you're 25. That's what, like, I've heard that, but that's what they were telling me. Like, like because you're so young, you have a young brain, you're going to, like, 
a lot of the things you've lost, you're going to get, like, you'll find other pathways, like the brain's yes, smart yeah. like that, you know? Mm, very much so. So, um, do you find fatigue is still an issue for Fatigue's you? Fatigue's still a major issue. I don't think, like, I think that'll kind of always be there. So, you're back training? Yeah. I'm back training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I, I can't really do, I can't do MMA. I couldn't take blows to the head, you know, um, because of the severity of my condition. But, um, it's actually funny, I, I was never actually told I could do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I was, Dr. Mulroy and the Lords, uh, when I did spend that week in hospital, he came in and he, 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 I was sitting on my bed and he said, okay, look, so him and his team of doctors, nurses, they came in and they, they said, uh, he said, uh, look, MMA, it's gone. Like, forget about it. I was like, okay, I understand that. But, um, what I, I said then what about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and he goes well I don't know enough about it I think we need to explain to people because we were talking about this on our way in with this um, yeah. martial art yeah. you try and starve your opponent of oxygen yeah. by holding them by the neck and you try and knock them out they, they try and faint I suppose is the nicest way of saying it you're yeah. trying to get them to faint Yeah. but if they don't tap they have to tap a leg they have to tap the mat is it yeah you to can tap you know you can tap a leg you can say tap you can okay. stamp your foot you know so he has you on the threshold so if you tap you've lost the, the fight as it were you've lost the points but you stay alive yeah yeah <laughs> okay. basically like like even like arm locks like if you're in an arm lock you tap but if you didn't tap you could have your arm broken you know like that's the, that's the aim of the game, you know. Okay, right. Now you've you've been to Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Uh, I also know that you're you're training uh, younger uh, kickboxers as well, which is which is keeping your hand in. I'm and actually I'm you training younger uh, younger kids in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I've kind of let the kind of kickboxing side of things go. You know that way. I've kind of a wise decision. Yeah, <laughs> I think so myself. And what age are the uh, the groups now that you're you're training? Uh, the group is from. Four till so I have two groups. I from four till eight, and then from eight to fifteen. And are they hungry to succeed, and they're really into it? Some of them are. Some of them are just there for fitness, and some of them are just there to learn a martial art, and some of them are there to learn self defense. Like it's that's the beauty. Yeah, it's it's very rewarding. I've no doubt. Um, so you're you're sensible now with your fatigue. You you listen to your body, and you're 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 able to um to know when you should be be resting resting up. Yeah, and you're back doing. Um, what you've always done because this sport has very much been in your life r- all the time yeah well it was a blessing and a course at the same time Jerry you know like I'm a world champion now in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu from Abu Dhabi like really as a paralee, um, like it's it's actually brilliant what they're doing over there it's the so last year was the third year that they did it it, um, it was it, their, the UAE JGF that's the uh, United Arab Emirates Jiu Jitsu Federation they started um, bringing in para-athletes to compete so there was a five day event at the Abu Dhabi World Pro it's a competition over in Abu Dhabi um, but what they did was the first day they had the kind of younger kids and then they had the para so I competed in category N of the para so they judge it on disability and they like that's how they make up the categories Like yes. they base it off disability first then weight and then uh, experience. So 
I was in category M, so I wouldn't have been competing against guys with missing limbs or anything. I would have been competing against guys because I am fairly, like I'm. You're functioning. You're I'm fully functioning. functioning well, yes, yeah, yeah. I would have been against guys that are kind of functioning fully to a similar yeah, level. Yeah, to a similar level, you know. Um, so like that's what I mean. It, it's a blessing, of course. It's a blessing in disguise, really. Mm. Um, my stroke, you know. So you get a chance. Uh, last year, you got a chance, just like me, to attend a cognitive rehabilitation course in RD uh, with Dr. Neve Rowe. It was a 16-week course of therapy with a lot of coffee and scones. <laughs> <laughs> True. What did you learn from the course? Did you enjoy it? I loved it. I honestly loved it. It was um, it was a way of getting me... I uh, see, like, because I'm so young, I kind of, like... Not that I lost friends, but I kind of went out of touch with a lot of people because... Like, they're still living their lives and they're going out every weekend. Well, not every weekend, like, but they're doing their own things. A lot of guys play football. Like, I probably wouldn't be able to play football, you know, that way. But it was a way of getting out and meeting people with similar experiences, like, yeah, realistically. Well, like, that's what it is. So we're kind of sharing our stories and probably realising, you know, I'm not on my own here, which is which is huge. Um, did it make you understand what happened to you much better? Did you get a better understanding of where... Where you were on the grand scheme of things, as Much it were. Much better understanding. I didn't. I didn't know anything going in there. I thought it was. I thought it was grand. You know that way. Like really, see, Jerry. I went to that. I went to the group to like help people. I thought I was going to help people, and then I got there, and then I realised I kind of need more help than nearly anyone. You know that way. Like, I, I was lost after a stroke. I didn't know what I was doing, and then I got there, and then I like you see the faces, you know, and then you understand a bit more. Cognitive rehabilitation doctor, Niamh Rowe. Aaron was the youngest of the group um, and he was a bit of a joker. Uh, so he brought great sort of life and sort of joy th- to the group. Um, and I think with Aaron, what happened is there was a, he learned an awful lot. Um, he's informed me that the amount of information he received, he now fully understands exactly because he's so young. Why did I experience this stroke? Why am I experiencing this, these difficulties, which in Aaron's case are very hidden. It's, it's all the cognitive side um, and it's very hard for a young very athletic chap to understand why he may be experiencing these difficulties because he can't see cognitive difficulties so um, I think with Aaron he's grown in confidence as well he has definitely a better understanding of how his brain injury occurred and what he needs to do to ensure that he's safe going forward. Um, he's We did a lot of work on fatigue management. Um, so he's learned different strategies to monitor his fatigue level and what sort of techniques he needs to do in order to under, to improve his processing of information. Um, and then we're also, we did a bit of work regarding what happens after the programme. What does he do afterwards? Because he's a young man, a lot to give, strong, strong passion for sports. So there was a sort of career guidance looked at and vocational um, goals were put in place with different places he could go to to obtain certain education that could help him tap into his skill, which is sport, um, and his because he's a very practical young guy. So confidence, education and a vocational goal, um, I think, was what Aaron achieved from attending the programme. A lot of people would say, Aaron, after hearing your story, 
Um, yes, you've had a stroke, but it also led to them discovering the hole in your heart, which could have been a bigger issue the older you get. Yeah. Um, so some people would say, and I know it's an Irish thing, and a lot, and we all kind of said we're very lucky. Do you do you actually feel lucky? Yeah. You every do. day, every day. I t- I, as soon as I step out of bed, I say thank you to the world, and you know I'm so lucky to be alive. I'm so lucky to be walking. I'm so lucky to be able to talk. Like. And it's it's over a year now since your stroke. So just over a year. Yeah. What's next for you now? What goals? What's on your wish list now? We'll say for the next six list. months. Um, go to Brazil, uh, compete. Well, I competed last weekend in a conventional competition, a very large, a large enough competition in uh, Gormston actually, and I won a bronze medal at that. Like you know, so right. I was happy enough with that. Like so. Yeah, I want to go over to Brazil. I want to kind of fly the flag for Ireland. Well, it's not. I won't be representing Ireland, but I will in kind of my own right as a paralegal. I'm the first Irish person to compete as a para jiu jitsu competitor. That's what the guy over there told me. Like so, I want to go over and I want to kind of put in a good, a good graft over there. You know. I have no doubt you will. Aaron Riley, amateur K1 champion, MMA fighter, and fellow stroke survivor. Thanks very much for joining me on the Strokecast. Continued health and success in your career. Thank you, Jerry. You too. Next week, we'll be talking to Magella, an occupational therapist who works with stroke patients. She was 36 when the tables were turned on her and she had a massive stroke. I remember trying to get myself back into the car to ring the ambulance. It felt like I was in two minds anywhere where I know I'm having a stroke, but the irony of me being an occupational therapist working in stroke rehab, the two consultants that were there were telling me to keep my head still. And of course, I know what a thrombectomy is. I know they're poking around in my brain. I've come through like a significant event, but I'm just a more positive person. I'm now glass half full rather than half empty. Um, You just have a different perspective Get in touch on Twitter at Strokecast IRL or on Facebook. The Strokecast is produced and presented by Jerry Stevens. The executive producer is Al Dunn. It's created by Unique Media.